Stand clear. 100% Wild Podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to Definitely Not Your Favorite Outdoor Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast powered by DeerCast. This is episode number 342. Is it? Or are we switching? Could be. Okay. We don't know. You're Tim Chelswick. You're Matt Drury. And this is a special edition because we're doing a, a collaboration with another podcast. We have Ben and Dylan from the Whitetail Edge podcast on with us, and they're actually deer killers. So we're going to actually get some real knowledge today that we usually can't give the audience. What's it like? <laughs> What's up, guys? What's up, Mr. Ben Rising? Hey, how are you guys doing? We're doing yeah, good. Yeah, this is going to be really cool because we're going to do our podcast today. And uh, so, yeah, this is awesome. Just kind of do it together and we'll share it on both platforms. That's right, man. So we're, we're excited to have you guys on. We just had this huge cold front come through the Midwest and that first real cold October wind. Mark and Terry have talked about it for a long time. Big buck killers like you are well tuned into this and what it means for the mature bucks moving and patterning them early on in the season before they kind of get, you know, in those rut cycles and their circles get a little bit bigger. So you went out there, you and Dylan both, and you guys knocked down a couple of giants. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty fortunate. Dylan killed a good deer in Ohio and I killed my third 200 in Illinois this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, you just saw the weather patterns coming like, and it's like, well, everything else is going to go on hold. And this is the time. Like, you know, when those winds start moving like that, you start getting that cold pattern. You just know that, uh, and, and I'm a, a big scrape hunter. Like I'm mm. big on deer and, uh, using their just, I don't know, like how they work mentally and like their, I, their dominance levels and things like that. That's what I'm a big uh, promoter on as far as trying to hunt deer in that sense. Like not every parcel of property or that everybody has can do like food plots or things like that, but I don't care who you are or where you hunt deer scrape, deer rub, deer bed, deer, you know, feed on acorns, things like that. That is something that any hunter out there can capitalize on because you know, as well as I do, Matt, that I'm sure you guys have heard it a hundred times in my market and, you know, Terry, well, if I could hunt where you do, or if I had those kind of farms and I could plant this, well, of course I could kill those deer too. Um, well, <clears throat> the scenario is a lot that we do on Whitetail Edge. Anybody can do, you know, it's your, I just try to take advantage of what the deer naturally do. I mean, granted, this farm is a farm that I was able to put some small clover plots on and, you know, some things like that just enhanced over the years, but this deer was there before I ever was able to even hunt it. You know, I encountered this deer last year, decided to back off of him after I just realized I wasn't meant to kill this deer. And I felt like he really needed one more year anyways. Uh, I think he was five last year, but I felt like if he's six, he's going to be a monster. And he pretty much went from, I would say mid eighties to 90 to, you know, right around two twelve, two fifteen is what we roughed him out at. Oh, jeez. Well, so, so Ben, I, I'm curious, like you have a reputation for killing big deer and have done so for years do you st like do you still get jacked when you see a deer like that come in like what's your mindset you know tim honestly it's and it's really hard to explain this to people but i really don't like but i never have like i should, shouldn't say I never have because like you know the first real big buck that i killed for Drury's back in the day the big nine that you know kind of put me on the map uh, you know that whole time that deer was coming I had to talk myself off the ledge, you know, I kind of had to be like, and you know, and it started right there mm -hmm. and I still like, but I've had a lot of experience, which is, you know, I'm fortunate with mature deer around me. But, um, back then I can remember telling myself to this day, you've worked so hard to get to this spot right here. Do not let your nerves ruin it for you. Like, this is why you're here. Yeah. This exact moment, just, calm down, think of something else. And I literally did because it, the deer was coming slow. And so like, I, I had to start thinking about just random stuff, you know, like trying to just get my mind off of it and, but stay in the game. And, but since then, 
now it's just natural. Like I don't even, I, I don't know. I just don't even get jacked up until it's over, mm. you know? And I find when I'm by myself, like I self film this deer, uh-huh. I get more excited when somebody's filming me than I do when I'm by myself. Why is that? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I don't because I'm sharing it with somebody else or what, but I, I don't know. But, um, like killing a two, this deer, I just killed ranger and the the hunt and the storyline and everything from last year to this year. It's just awesome. And it's going to make a great story and good footage, but like, I was super jacked. Do not get me wrong. Like I'm, I was super excited, but, um, you know, it's kind of like, well, this is what I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's, it's really, for me, it's like the the exciting part is knowing what he's going to do. And when it happens, it's like, I win the second that I see that sucker. Like it's a win for me inside. Like, yes. Like I knew you were going to do that. Exactly. Exactly what I thought you were going to do to me. That's the, that's what I, mm. it's like making the next deal or the next, you know, like a guy that say is a stockbroker or whatever, yeah. you know, like signing the next real estate deal. Like ah, once it's done on to the next one. Well, you know, I'm not saying that that's how I look, but you know, for me, it's almost getting in their head and like figuring them out and making them do what you want is the, that's the most exciting part of it anymore for me. Okay. So, so we'll get, I want to make sure we get into Dylan's here in a minute, but I want to dive into that part of it specifically and how this played out. What, what was the setup? Were you, cause you went out there, you were what scouting for a few days and did you make a move? Did you hang a new set? Like, what was the story leading into saying, hey, I he did exactly what I knew he was going to do? Okay. So long story short, this deer lived, um, the piece I was hunting was 120 acres. And it was hard. It's bottom access, which I hate bottom access farms. You know, they're tough because when you're coming in from the bottoms, you know, the deer on the hillsides, they can, you know, just your thermal stink, you know, everything's just mm-hmm. tougher. And, but there was a nine acre, 10 acre CRP field or, you know, growed up ragweed, goldenrod, horsetail type field up on top. And we had burned it this spring, which we have videos of burning that off. And uh, it's not actually enrolled in CRP, but we wanted to burn it off. Um, I have no access to that field, say for like a farmer to plant it, unless I come to the neighbors and, you know, something like, and I didn't know them enough to start asking questions like that yet, you know, I'm getting to know them. Um, but the other hand too, is I don't like to tip my hand to this, to like what you might be, you know, cause I, I, I'm not a big liar. So if somebody's asking, Hey, did you ever see that deer that had the triple kickers on each, you know, uh, you feel compelled to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like, ah, I think maybe, you know, but like, so I try to just like keep it under wraps as much as I can. And, but you know, so we did that, burnt that field felt like that was going to create a lot of new forbs and different things in the ground, new grasses. Um, I mowed one edge of it, um, you know, just to get around and, you know, strategic, but basically I had a camera at each end of this field and they were probably like 550, 600 yards apart. And I tucked a little analogics pro clover plot in at the top of the logging road that come up into the field, um, to start with. And I made a scrape right there, um, mock scrape on Thursday when I got there, but I, I was getting this deer mostly on the very West end of this CRP field, the hardest part for me to get to no access to it without going through tons of cover and deer and grass to get to that spot. But that's where I got him mostly on camera. And so I'm like, well, naturally, you know, we commit to like, well, you always want to hunt where you're seeing them or you're getting the info. So I was like, well, I need to get a stand down there close to that end. So first day I got there, that's what I did. I hung a, you know, stand, a Raider stand down at that end of it, come back. I hunted that night, passed a nice buck. Um, didn't see him had to drive my e-bike all the way back through all that grass back down. And I just felt like the whole time, like, this is so wrong what you're doing. You know, this is stupid. Cause I was just blowing along edge. There was deer beds all along this grass, you know, along the edge of the timber, bunch of acorns in there. And I'm like, that sucker's probably laying right here. You dumb. Ben, did, did, at so, any point, did you hear deer blowing at you when you were? No, I didn't, but okay. I just, it's intrusion. Just felt like. 
yeah, it just felt like, you know, felt like your aunt kissing you on the mouth or something, hmm. you know, like, Tim we, you know should we, I think we should cut that from the, uh, <laughs> from the podcast, <laughs> but you know, I'm just saying like, it was just like an awkward, you know, like yeah. one of those awkward hugs or something from somebody, you know, and you're just like, this is not the thing to be doing. Yeah. And so I just, you know, got to the other end and the wind all week was going to be wrong for that. Like to hunt that stand I hung. And I'm, and I sit there and I'm thinking about it at night and I'm like, you know, I got a camera on this little tiny clover plot right here. And I have never got that deer at all right here, except for one time in July after I first mowed the clover, after it really started growing good, I mowed it one time and I got his picture one time in velvet. He came into that plot, sniffed around and walked out of it. And I never got him again all year like all the way up until now, I never got him. Mm-hmm. And, but now the camera didn't cover the whole plot either. Mind you, you know, it only covered a, a good size of it, but never got him. And I just kept telling myself, Ben, you know, deer too much. There's no way that this deer does not come here at some point. If he's up here around this CRP and the neighbors Oaks and things like that, he has to. So I just decided the next day, the second hunt, I'm like, I'm going to go up in there. I'm going to sit the stand I'd originally hung for this spot and I'm just going to see what I see kind of an observatory sit mm-hmm. possibly could kill a deer, you know, kill this deer might see him. So it was a little bit warmer that day. I was actually walking in with my shirt off cause I didn't want to get hey. too sweated up. And I still got sweaty, get some got up in the tree, wiped down and was kind of getting ready. It was like eight to, it was like five to four. Mm-hmm. And I'm like still sweat rolling off me, rustling around, kind of getting set up, getting ready to get my camera gear set up. And I stop and I look behind me and the sucker is standing right there. Oh boy. He's at at 65 yards, not looking at me. He's taking the leak and taking a dump. (laughs) And which tells you what he just got up out of his bed. And he's just kind of like stretching, finishes taking his, leak and he's feeding through the clover just a little bit but he was right on the edge of the crp and he and i was like well i guess i should probably try to get my bow up you uh. know and get everything up here <laughs> yeah. and so i Wait, filmed him for just a so second with was my your, phone was your bow on the ground still yeah it was still hanging from the tree i hadn't been in the tree three minutes oh no <laughs> wasn't even four o'clock you were close I mean, it wasn't even four o'clock yet I yeah was that, so like that tells you he was right there yeah and yeah. so I'm like, unbelievable. Like he is doing what I think, just I'm not getting his picture. Yeah. And it's so finger justice, so Harry Ben. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Mossiac breakout country. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Gilly suit. So, anyways, I, I get it, I get, you know, I start to try to figure out how I get my bow up. Well, he hears me and he looks right over my direction. But I don't think he actually picked me out. And he just kind of like let down his guard or didn't let his guard down, but he kind of tucked his tail, put his head down and you just kind of bucked out of the plot, mm. you know, off that edge. And he was in the worst part of the plot. Like I'd made the plot bigger in the spring. And then when I went back and how lush it was getting, um, we decided that I was going to shrink it. So I only mowed part of it, but there was still clover growing in the original part that got weedy again. Mm-hmm. And um, I paid my buddy JP to go in and spray it because he lives a lot closer to it than me driving eight hours to go spray my plot. Yeah. So JP, he went up and sprayed it for me and he actually sprayed the whole thing again. And so, but there was still all that dead tall grass and the clover was coming through. Well, that's where the deer wanted to be. They wanted to stay in that spot for some reason. They weren't coming into that lush, pretty spot. Mm. They were working that edge of the CRP. Well, then what I figured out is I dug onto my, deer cast got onto the topo side you know how like you can take it away from the aerial you go to the topo mm-hmm. if you really back out you can see all the defined ridges yeah and little ditches and every little thing sticks out well then what i soon figured out I was like how did you not see this before exactly where we made the end of the plot from one side of the farm to the other side there was a basically a knob that i think he betting on on my side of the farm then he'd walk that ledge and he would go into the neighbor's oaks because there was another hog back that fed down in there and it, it there was a big ravine that pushed him to right there at that breaking point and that's how the all the deer would enter into that next woods now granted i still own like 30 40 yards of that woods 
but um, before we had gotten this farm, the timber had been cut off of it. So we didn't have a lot of great oaks right there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, somebody was calling, but anyways, so then I was like, well, that's what they're doing. That's why they're working that edge. So I hurried up and moved to stand the next day to put myself in that position, went up in the rain and the wind, hung a stand to be, to put myself within 23 yards of that corner and thought, okay, I'll hunt here. The wind was perfect for it for that night. I never did see him again that night, but it was so windy and the deer were just edgy. You know how they are in wind. They just, even the does come out to the plot and they were just like, they didn't like it. Every stick that cracked every tree, you know, there was, I heard trees fall and it was that windy. Yeah. And so they just, I'm like, this is senseless. So I literally got down and left. I'm like, I just, I'm not going to burn this out. So I got the heck out of there and thought, you know what? I've been in here now three times. I've only seen him that one time. I don't want to like burn this spot out. And I, and if I don't get a picture of him tonight somewhere on the farm, I'm probably just going to give it a break, you know, cause they're that touchy, you know, cause you some one way or the other, they're cut, they're cutting your track, you know, somewhere through the night. People think that that's not how it works, but just in general deer alone are going to be moving across your tracks. And the more deer you spook, the more, the less activity you're going to get just in general. So I thought, if I don't get a picture of him, I'm just going to back off and whatever, maybe go hunt another deer in another farm. Well, at 4.50 that morning, the next morning, I got a picture of him at the West End again, where I was getting him quite regular. And he was headed to the north and, you know, five, 600 yards away from where I was seeing him. I was like, well, I know what he's going to do now. He's going to get, he's going to go into the oaks, feed today. He's going to bet on the edge of the CRP. And then tonight. He's going to get up. He's going to come to that plot and he's going to work scrapes or just nose around. It's mm-hmm. just that night. It was high pressure. Deer cast said it was great. The pressure was like 30.2. Mm. And, you know, I'm like, and it was calm. It was high pressure after that wind. I'm like, they are going to move up like gangbusters mm-hmm. today. And they did. And uh, he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. I had a little buck come out of the plot, work my scrape at 15 yards from me. He was working his scrape. And it was about half. They didn't move as early as I thought they would, but they did move good. Like when they moved, they all started moving. Yeah. And that little buck started working that scrape. And all of a sudden the buck stopped and he looks. And so I look up and look clear to that corner where I'd moved that stand to. Here he come from the opposite direction. Like I thought he would. He come right in that corner and he's standing there just looking over everything. <laughs> and I'm like, oh crap, there he is. <laughs> and he sticks his head down. He feeds just a little bit in that clover. He's watching that buck. So I grabbed my grunt call and I just, I grunt at him just a couple of times with the extinguisher, just burr, burr. two times. That's all it took. And that little buck then bolts, runs underneath me as fast as he can to get out of there. <laughs> and that dude come run into that scrape. Huh. Start working the scrape and I pound him. <laughs> that ability to know when to call and get aggressive. And like, that's, that's something that I do not have because like, I wouldn't think to call this early in the year, but Same. what, what about that deer made you think he was aggressive enough to, is it that, Hey, he's the King, you know, of the, of the area, he's the oldest deer, he's six and a half. So he's going to go see who's in his spot or what makes you think I'm going to just lightly grunt. Cause you've been this way ever since you were hunting with us back in the day, you've always been aggressive in that way. Yeah. Well, for one, the body language of that smaller eight told me that he was just like, he submitted instantly when he saw that deer, like he quit scraping, he tucked his ears and his, he hunched his back like, Oh crap. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like, sorry, sorry, man. You know what I mean? He's like, I'll get the heck out. Yeah. Like he just boom, gone. And so like that told me right away that, and I knew that Ranger was aggressive um, because he broke his rack last year, you know, like in November, he broke one beam off. Um, he just, and during the rut, he roamed that farm a lot. So like, I knew if I didn't kill him early, but I was worried about somebody else getting on him. Cause when he did rut, he walked mm-hmm. a lot. Of course. And so, you know, I was like, man, I can get back on him. I know, I know the circle he's going to take when the rut comes this year. Cause I figured that out last year and I had stand set for it. I really want to kill him early if I can. So I don't have to put my whole season in trying to hunt this deer. Cause you know, when you have a deer like that, you're going to hunt that deer and you're going to put everything off till you kill it. Yeah. 
And, you know, when you have a show like me, you know, you need to kill deer to have a show. So, um, consuming all your time on one deer in a very hard spot to hunt is tough. And I, and I did that a little bit the year before I wasted a couple of weeks just trying to kill him and then realized I'm not meant to kill this deer yet. Mm. But so just like reading that body language and the way he just stood out there when he saw that buck and he kind of put his ears back, I'm like, that's all it's going to take. And so then I just gave him two small, like almost like the, the, the other buck saying, yeah, yeah, I'm not that scared. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or he might've thought it was another buck, you know, but he more than like, he wasn't like looking to fight, but he wanted to mark that scrape. Like he was like, no, that's mine. I'm taking this over. Like, cause this time of year is when they start roaming their territory and they start pushing the other bucks off. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or if mm-hmm. Mark ever talks about it, but what I've noticed is that in a, but in a bigger bucks basic core area of say, like, you know, say if it's 20 acres or whatever that might be, I start getting less and less younger buck pictures in those areas as the season, as fall heats up you know, yeah. the pre-run because like them bucks are always pushing them around. They don't want them in there. Uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so they are very susceptible at that point to being challenged or getting in their head with scrapes like that and knowing where that, but you know, you can't just go make a scrape anywhere. It's, it's a science. You have to, you have to be where they want to be uh, to, to get, it. it's just like fishing. You know, you don't just go in the middle of the lake and start dropping a line and expect it, you know, but if there's a stump field or fallen trees somewhere, you know, that there's going to be fish around that structure deer, just the same way. You know, you just got to be tight to them. It's like deer cast can tell you all the info you want, you know, like it's going to be a great day and all this. And then we get these comments, well, deer cast said it was going to be great, but I didn't see a damn thing. Well, you probably were hunting in the wrong spot. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's like, it's just like all the studies on the moon where they talk about like, well, there's been, we've noticed that there's been no influence whatsoever, you know, with deer travel. BS, like maybe long-term movements, but that deer moves every day of his life. He has to eat, he has to drink, he has to, you know, whatever he's going to do, they do it. What I've noticed is that if you're within their core, they do it earlier when that moon is right. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and I would think Mark would say the same thing. Oh, for sure. When you grunted at that deer, how far away was he? He was about 68 yards. And was there anything between you and him? Meaning like he couldn't really see you, but he just. No, he, well, he could see, he could see that scrape that that little buck. So the buck, the little buck had just been my natural decoy. Yeah. Yeah. So like if that little buck had not been there, I probably would have let things played out just a tad. Hmm. before I grunted but being that that little buck was showing some aggression as far as like just working the scrape and being in the mood he wasn't being aggressive towards ranger at all he was just being a buck yeah you know he come to that scrape does what a deer does every deer that comes by that scrape is going to work it yeah you know well I just knew that that was going to piss ranger off and so I grunted at him twice just to make it happen quicker yeah you know and he instantly just come like right now hmm well, well and, and and the fact that you're self-filming that oh yeah. Tim knows how is, hard that is is just unbelievable. I, I I can't imagine. Yeah, how do you so that's a whole different element of it. I mean, so you getting your camera just framed up on the scrape and you know and this is roughly where I'm gonna have my shot. Well, I mean, the scrape is a little bit covered from leaves. Like I couldn't see it great. Um but that's just the way the tree was. And I didn't want to take my cover away being I was self-filming as much, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't trim too much to that spot. And I took the first shot I got at him. I actually shot him quartering two. just, you know, he was coming into the scrape. He stopped, just literally stuck his head up into the branches to start raking the branches. And I sailed one right behind his shoulder straight down through him, drove it through the ground. I mean, he goes out into the plot, 50, 60 yards, stops, stands there for like about 50 seconds. And then, it's falling over. He oh, fell nice. over right there <laughs> on camera. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. So, and you know, I guess the thing is, is it's like, that's what I, another thing I tell people is like, you know, a lot of people like they want to wait for that absolute perfect shot, which I, I, I commend, like, you know, you should try to take the best shot you can, but I practice a lot of scenarios shooting, you know, like in those instances. And the way I practice is every time I draw my bow 
and me and my buddy, my buddy that owns Cobra Archery, the releases, he talks about that. Like we do both do the same thing. It's like you, you envision that deer you're hunting every time you shoot. Mm-hmm. Like that's just how I, I envision it as a hunting scenario when I'm, when I'm hunting or when I'm shooting in my backyard out of my practice stand. Like I envision that that's Ranger and like the angles and just like what could happen. And like, that's how I shoot. Like I draw slow, just like I'm drawing on a deer and I'm envisioning and that's him. And I'm like, you know, sometimes I'll grunt or whatever to stop or like, I just practice it. Like it's real, you know, some, some people think that's anal, but that's just that's how brilliant. I, that's the difference I'd say between you and us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's the next level stuff. Uh, man, that's, that's a cool story. It's that to be aggressive, to get in there. I was just talking to Terry about it this morning. It's like, man, our strategies are so reliant on food plots. And in the last three years, we can't get food plots to grow. And I've been trying to change my strategy and get Mm -hmm. into the timber more when it, when it, you know, works out and we have the right wind and it, you, it does make a difference. It makes a, you know, when your strategies aren't working and things aren't lining up, like you got to be able to change them. Right. And, and, and I've kind of grown up under the tutelage of the food plot, you know, strategy, and it's just not working right now for us. It just hasn't with the droughts and stuff. It's just not working. You know, the sit and wait and let them come to you theories aren't really coming to fruition and sometimes you got to get aggressive. So I like hearing stories like yours, Ben, where you, you know, you kind of scouted them, you figured them out and then you made your move. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to just go blowing into a spot and start grunting and blind rattling this time of year and, you know, trying to expect to call a deer to me, you know, but another strategy that can work really good in scenarios like that, like if you're close, if you have a food source close to bed, you can, take your rattling antlers or whatever, and you can tickle them on those food sources. You know, like if the deer aren't moving, like you think sometimes those bucks are closer instead of just like slamming them together. But you know how like those little bucks come out into the plot earlier, they start feeding around, they're banging antlers together, just checking each other out, playing, man, a lot of times that gets those other deer moving. You know, I've literally busted deer out of a plot. And in fact, it was on one of your videos, the deer we call brute and come back like bust deer out of the plot, trying to get into a ground blind or whatever. And the second I get into the blind, I take the, the antlers and I rattle them together because when those deer hit the timber, other deer that are down in the timber, wondering what they're running from. Well, then when they hear all that commotion of the antlers, they're like, Oh, it was just, you know, and then they calm right down. And huh. like in 10 minutes, you got deer coming back out. Mm, it's a good idea. I <laughs> never thought of it that way. <laughs> no, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. See, and that's like, and, and I'm not trying to like, I just think like a deer all the time. Like I, I tried to explain it to a guy, buddy of mine yesterday. They kind of said like, man, dude, I just don't know how you do it. Like, you know, they brought a guy to my house um, to visit and he just, you know, he walked through my living room. He got to see all my deer and he's just like, unbelievable. Like, you know, one guy, a guy may not see a deer like this, but once in his lifetime, mm-hmm. you know? And so like the thing is, and it's not that I'm special. It's just, I don't know how to explain it. Like you ever seen the movie, the matrix, Oh, yeah. John Reeves years ago. Yeah. Well, like how the, like the, all the visions are going, <laughs> well, like whenever I'm on a farm or the second I hit the farm, I'm riding my e-bike or I'm walking, I'm doing whatever. Every little thing is like storing in a file, red oaks hitting here, white oaks here, scrape here, beds here, bing, 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 you know, wind, bing, bing, you know, this wind's going to swirl here. Thermals. It just all goes in. And then when I go home at night, it all downloads and I just sit there and I go, Mm. And I'm just like computing it, you know, it's just a different, it's just what I do. I don't golf. I don't play baseball. I, I don't, you know, I work t- in the timber and I yeah. deer hunt, you which know? I think is a big advantage. You know, you're a timber guy. You understand that terrain and, you know, oaks and this and that tree, you, that's your business, right? So that ties, I think, directly into the skill set. You know, you it helps tremendously. You you yeah, know I what you're looking for. Being a woodsman is a very good part. You know, like for instance, like your uncle Mark, he was a, a g- g- awesome turkey hunter before he was a deer hunter. You know, what I mean, like, and that takes woodsmanship to be a great turkey hunter, caller. He understands calling, and you know, just like Terry, you know, both of them, same thing. When they were younger, they were good hunters at different, you know, Mark and Terry didn't always hunt some of the properties they hunt now. Like they started cutting their teeth on 
just like everybody does, you know, and that's what people forget. Yeah. That, like, you know, Mark and Terry could kill a deer anywhere just because they can hunt spots that are good now because maybe they own them or whatever. They can do a little more with them. doesn't mean that they still can't go somewhere, revert to old tactics and whack and stack if they need to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and that's where I think like Matt, you admitted, like you've kind of gotten grain to like, well, we put a food plot here, a box blind here. We'll yeah. kill this deer here. Well, that works, but it doesn't always work. And so you're realizing now that man i have got to do something a tad different yeah oh yeah <laughs> it's after a couple of years of hunting uh, this one particular farms especially it's like this isn't working we keep saying hey it's going to be different this year because food's going to grow and these droughts th- this august september is like the new august it's mm-hmm. brutal man and uh it's hot and we can't get anything to grow and it's like all right we're we're screwing up we're wasting time more more than anything we're wasting time you know yeah. and uh it's, it's just got me thinking differently. I got to, I got to do something different. Do you guys, I, I, I don't know this, but is like, does Drury's have a scent company or that do you guys have a lure company you work with? Well, um, like buck bomb has a few of those like aerosol. They, they have some stuff okay. where it's like dope, you know, a scrape generator and, but not, I don't think they have quite like that, uh, black widow that you use. Um, yeah. But I, I was going to say, so like the branch butter. Yeah. And stuff like that is stuff that like I would recommend that you try because and and I'm really good at this because like I used to be a trapper when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, I trapped a lot, trapped fox, raccoons, you know, and that's very scent oriented, bait oriented, scent oriented, eye appeal. Just like when I make my scrapes, man, I like them to be I make them big, I make them eye appeal, like dang, you know, who's making that scrape and they go over, check it out. Well, then they pee in it and then they yeah, then they the branch butters in the tree and they smell that and you know they just they start taking them over i mean i'll do some of those in august and i won't even get pictures of them on them till like september october but once they start them they're on them you know and the scrapes will go dry as breeding starts you know yeah but they'll then they'll heat back up once like as the does start to go out of heat and the bucks are getting like less and less does to breed, you'll notice the scrapes open back up mm-hmm. and that's a killer time to hunt scrapes again, or be in a core area of a big buck that is looking for a doe or they're very callable at that time. Mm-hmm. They can, you know, be very duped, you know, by working a hot scrape. Ben, what do you use? Like what tool do you use to actually create this scrape? Are you just using your heel and digging in the ground? Yeah, my or? foot. Okay. Everybody's like, dude, you got to wear gloves. You got to do this. <laughs> I literally reached down there with my hands pull the sticks, rake them out, take a big stick, scrape them out, do whatever, kick the dirt out, you know, take my bare hands, put the branch butter in the tree. I mean, now I'm not like rolling on the ground, but I'm just saying I'm not that crazy about it. Like deer, no, I don't know how you say it, man. They're like, especially at at nighttime, like they're just different at night than during the day. Like if that deer encounters that scent and you being there during the daytime, at five o'clock in the afternoon, he might be like, yeah, he might be a little weary of it, but he comes across it at one o'clock in the morning. He's not that worried about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, yeah, this is weird, but they still check it out. Just like when you hang cameras, how many, how many deer have you had come up to your trail cameras after you've hung them at night and they're kind of like, yeah, sniffing them. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, same thing. Mm. You know, secondary zones, primary zones is what I call them. Like those deer in the secondary zones on the edges of fields where farmers are, you know, where they're used to encountering truck tracks, tractors, four wheelers, banging gates. They put up with a lot, Yeah. but you step into their bedroom, like their primary zone. That's a little different story. Mm. You know, they may not like that as much, but if a, if a deer lives there a fair bit, he's not going to leave. You can bump him a time or two and he's not going to just, move and uproot his whole life for that, you know, okay. for a couple times. Uh, on your scrapes, you know, and I've, I think I'm trying to remember we had somebody else on the podcast. It might've been uh, Tim Wells what, was talking about, you gotta, the scrapes gotta be where they're, they're at, right? Like if you're putting up a new scrape, it's gotta be where they're wanting to go. Cause we're, you know, I see like Mark and Terry have success, Mark specifically with these scrape trees in the middle of these plots. And like, we went all out this year and tried everything and some of them kind of work, but most of them don't. And we tried some of the branch butter. Now it was a year old. So maybe that had a factor, but I just don't have luck with 
you know, with the majority of where we're putting out these scrape trees and stuff. So, and, and what you're talking about. So are you just saying, Hey, I go to where they're naturally gonna, gonna be at start a scrape there and then hang on that spot or, you know, how are you getting them to come to you? Well, so like, I mean, basically it's kind of like the same idea as a scrape tree in a plot, which, you know, and one thing that I think you would find. So like those scrape trees, um, are you guys using the, the plastic ones? No. That, you know, you put in, are you using real ones? Yeah. So like, we, we've tried it all, man. Recently, the last few years we were using real ones. Like we'd cut down trees and go put them in. And, uh, this year we tried something new that I saw, you know, Tom Ware had been talking about where we got these posts from Lowe's, you know, like that, cedar yeah, cedar posts or whatever, and put them in the ground and, you know, then put a, you know, an oak branch on them. And I mean, we've tried everything and I, I just don't have much luck with it ever. Yeah. Well, I think some of it too, Matt, is going to be like, it's not like they're always going to do that or go work that spot. I could think it's in some of it too, I think maybe the size of your food plots. Like if you've got a smaller um, food plot that, you know, where they can maybe neck down and you have that right there, then it's almost like, okay, I got to, I can't not go pay attention to this to a degree. Yeah. Some of it's going to be the mood they're in, you know, the, the weather, it's just a lot of it. But what I have found is just more of those natural edges of the woods or like I have natural trees that grow in plots. Um, like where I killed T-post a few years ago. Um, that, that was just a tree that they always scrape under, you know? And so I would, I'll take in August or July, whatever, and I'll just put a little branch butter in the tree. They don't start messing with it a whole lot, but that stuff stinks so bad that it just hangs there. And then eventually when they start feeling the mood, they'll go in, they'll smell it, but they don't work it. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll come over, they'll smell that, but they don't start digging. Now I've got multiple videos I could send right now of, deer hitting these things where we've done the branch butter and all that but like just say like trails coming out of bedding areas where trails converge perfect place for a scrape how they're entering a food plots in those corners or where a logging road comes up into them perfect place for a scrape you know find where the deer are traveling on those edges mm -hmm. and a lot of guys say oh you got to hunt down when to scrapes you know long distance because the big bucks will scent check them well okay maybe maybe during the rut like if they're super in a super hurry trying to find the hottest doe they can they may go downwind checking to see if that doe is going to pee in that scrape but i have found that most of the scrapes are mainly for bucks to communicate and tell everybody who they are mm -hmm. you know i mean i've seen does go over there and pee in them but i've seen way more bucks rake branches pee in scrapes work dig them out way more than I've ever seen does go into a scrape. Mm -hmm. Way more. You know, it's, it's like an aggressive, it's like guys seeing it out in front of a college bar or something, you know, they're like, it's, they just want to tell everybody who they are. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. And I mean, it, if you can find a scrape, so like here, here's something I'd tell you, like the situation you're in right now, you're struggling a little bit. You don't got a lot of deer coming to that greener pasture right now. Do you have acorns on, are the acorns sitting on your farm? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, we, we moved in on a little hidey hole clover plot that we had, you know, tucked in amongst all these acorns and, and there's that scrapes doing great. That plot that, that we actually had an encounter with a shooter of ours, uh, that Friday, last Friday. So, I mean, yeah, we, you know, it, that strategy has worked, but of course, you know, the wind's only right for it every so often and you don't yeah. want to burn the spot out. We sat it last night. We had a good wind and sat it last night. Um, another eight pointer, another good deer shooter that we have, he hits it almost every night. He hit it last night too late, you know, but the night before the night before that he was right there, right around dark hitting that scrape. So, you know, I have a couple spots where it works or where, you know, the strategy's there, but for the most part, you know, like, unless I had the right wind, I can't go in there. So I'm trying, you know, back to those box blind food plot strategies, you know, and just yeah. sit and wait. And they, they come out, they come out right at dark every time. Like they're just not, we're not, there's not enough bedding close enough to this, to, to where we're at. And, and I know that, and that's always been the problem there. Uh, but we're just kind of on the edge of where we can hunt the edge of the property. And, and the neighbors got most of the timber and the farm we were leasing has got, you know, a bunch of ag, you know, and that's, and not a ton of cover once the ag's cut out. Yeah. See, and that's, you know, you're, you're noticing all that stuff. So, I mean, like, that's great because like 
you're noticing the closer you can get to where the deer originally wants to be, you're getting more action or yeah. you're going to get more of that mature buck action. That's where I tell a lot of people like, man, sometimes you just have to, you have to like pull the gloves off and not be afraid to screw it up and go look, Yeah, you know, and dig in and find those things that like just stick out to you. Just like, you know, the few years ago when I killed scissors, you know, and I had a few days to hunt that farm. This guy allowed me to hunt it to try to kill this big deer and, you know, I killed him on day three, but that's what I finally had to do. The second day, I finally just said, you know what? I got to go dig. And I just tore into that farm, mm. found what I wanted to find, hung on it. We killed him the next morning. <laughs> so, Why don't I do that? Um, <laughs> it works you know, differently for me, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the thing is, it's timing too. Like yeah. this time of year, those deer are not moving a lot. Like yeah. even the cold front, everybody thinks, oh my gosh, the cold front's the best. Well, it does work. But it's still, you got to be tight to them. Yeah. Like they're not up at. They're still know, food to bed. Months. Pretty That's much. That's right. It's not like they're not roaming looking for does yeah. yet. They're just doing that social ordering. They're checking, you know, they'll feed a little earlier. They'll, you know, they're getting aggressive on the scrapes, things like that. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not out there. Let's hang and hang and slam antlers and they're going to come running, you know. Mm-hmm. We should get into Dylan's deer. We he's like Lindsey Buckingham on the what's up with that skit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I well, we could do. We should jump on another podcast, you know, and keep going like right in the rut. We should do another one with Ben and kind of oh, go yeah. through back through some up, you know, some update strategies for that time of the year, which is coming up here, you know, in a few weeks, obviously. So um, I do want to get to Dylan's though too, yep. and and so Dylan, you killed. A one seven? What was it? A one seventy? I mean, you both killed giant deer. I saw the pictures that the rack was like twenty two inches wide. It looked like <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to follow that story. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Dylan. You should, what's your story? <laughs> I should have first. But uh, he was right around one seventy, uh, ten point. Yeah. What was that? That inside spread? He looked huge. Uh, he was actually wasn't. I thought he was a little bit wider, but he was uh, like twenty one and a half. Which I mean is plenty wide, so I'm just saying. I it's thought a beach cruiser a bike. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, so take us through price. it. So what what was your was your strategies similar to Ben's, or what what were you hunting a food source? Because you know acorns. What was the strategy going into it? Uh, take Ben's story, and mine was a hundred percent different, uh, completely, <laughs> and not as cool as Ben's. But uh, <laughs> so mine mine was actually an urban deer. Um, I uh, kind of dove into the urban game a little bit last year and just kind of trying to work with the cards that I've been dealt. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always grew up on hunting rule pieces and it just seemed like every single year, this piece, losing that piece, uh, farms kept shrinking. Um, so I, I was having trouble finding any deer of any size. And if I was, all my eggs were in one basket. And so I've kind of flipped the script a little bit and um, just tried to cast a huge net on as many different properties as I could, which involves a lot of door knocking, a lot of calls. And um, so just casting the big net. I mean, I still hunt roll pieces and stuff like that, but I go where the biggest deer I can find is. And sure. Just so happened to be in an urban setting um, again this year. So last year I, hunted urban for the first time and killed a nice deer. And then, um, that just so happened to be where my biggest year was again this year. So, so how many acres are we talking when you talk about an urban strategy? Yeah. So last year it was two acres Mm -hmm. and this year I had another urban piece that I fished a little bit last year and, um, just didn't have anything that I was interested in. And that particular piece was like a two acre piece um, that I found the deer that I ended up killing, uh, found him on there. It was two acres, um, had him in there pretty frequently and already had a Novix hung up and felt super confident that I was going to be able to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had this landowner right next door and I had to park in front of their house. So I always like did, you know, let them know, Hey, I'm going to be here. If you see my truck, it's yeah. me type deal. And I was hunting a different landowner that was across the street. Um, he didn't live there. Uh, there was no house on it. But um, so I'm getting frequent pictures of Claude 
and uh, feel like I can kill him. Had my stand hung. Everything's going great. And then I show up and I call her. I'm like, hey, I'm here. I'm just uh, changing batteries in the camera. And she goes, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, um, by the way, I, this guy came and knocked on the door and I'm going to let him hunt my property. Uh. <sighs> and so my property that I was hunting was, you know, I, I didn't feel like I wanted, I needed to bug her and ask if I could hunt her very small uh-huh. slither. Um, and he was actually using hers uh, wood line to come into where I was hunting. Sure. This buck was. Of course. And I just, I, I just wasn't going to bother her. Well, yeah. some guy saw the deer, I assume out in this bean field and um, came and knocked on her door and she gave him permission. So he's like, he's like I'll bother. Her. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I was like devastated, man. I'm like, yeah. like I don't know what I'm going to, I'm going to do now. Well, I've been um, looking at the same property for two years before I even knew about this, this deer um, that happened to be just north of the property um, that I had originally. I've been trying to get a hold of this guy for two years and look at the draw. He finally answers the phone and was like the nicest guy ever. And he's oh, like, nice. yeah, hunt it. and it's a 25 acre woodlot, which is might as well be urban. 400 acres for, yeah. <laughs> for our, you know, suburban hunter. Exactly. And, uh, it's sitting right in between two soybean fields. Um, the deer are just using it like crazy. And I, so I'm like instantly the spirit, you know, it's like roller coaster, uh, <laughs> pretty typical with any deer. I don't care where he is. It's always some kind of roller coaster ride. It seems like, but so, uh, he gave me permission. I go in there. It happens to be like, uh, all East access, which is awesome. Mm. um very less intrusive i only had to go in like 35 yards and hang my novix and i felt like there was it's very small terrain or very flat terrain features in the whole area but there was like this one rise and it kind of eld around the whole property and it was just like this gradual rise and when i first went in there and scouted i walked it pretty thoroughly just to kind of figure some things out and i kind of noticed and picked up like found a good spot where I figured they were probably bedding in the north end of the property and how they would probably use this higher flat to walk out to each bean field. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, well, I feel like I can kind of pull deer. Obviously, there's a little bit of analogic speed involved, um, but 35 yards is all I have to walk in. East access. Nice. I was like, I'm going to hang the camera here and see what happens. And I think it was couple of days later, I got a picture of him. He was a lot more nocturnal at this point. I feel like he was getting crusher. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so kind of nocturnal, just waiting it out. That's probably middle of September this time. Um, he ends up daylighting on a scrape. Um, probably well, you had two- made a scrape, though, to tell him about like how you decided. OK, because like we were big on this strategy of like get off the food source, make scrapes, get them to hit those scrapes, yeah. you know. Yep. So I made a, um, I made a black widow mock scrape, um, with their, um, with their rope and Clyde ends up hitting it like three days later. Uh, again, just like, uh, Ben said, did I lose you guys? No, we got you. Oh, okay. You guys weren't showing up, but, um, made a big aggressive scrape, just like Ben talked about, cleared a lot of, a lot of ground out. Um, same deal. I just kicked mine out with my foot and whatnot. Um, but he and Clyde ends up hitting it about three days later. We're moving into the season. We're about a week out. They actually end up taking over a scrape, another scrape, like 12, 15 yards away from that mock scrape on a vine. And I just was doctoring that up here and there with uh, with some branch butter. Nothing else. I wasn't putting any urine on the ground, just, just the branch butter. And it just piqued the curiosity enough. And um, I hunted opening day. I hunted the next day. No show. Um, the second day I had a, a homeless man walk through the woods. <laughs> Tim relates <laughs> yeah. to all these things. Yep. <laughs> Lady walking yeah, her dog, so, unicyclist. <laughs> yeah. The urban game's a little different. There's some things that you just wouldn't expect, but had some homeless guy walk in and he's, he's walking through. And, um, I think he was a 42 year old. I'm not sure. Yeah. He was good on him. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, buddy, like, <laughs> he's like looking around, he has no idea. And I'm like, hey, this is private property. And he goes, 
oh, I'm sorry. Then he like walks right through the sanctuary. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you probably thought I was God or something. Talking. <laughs> He's having a bad trip. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that kind of put a damper in the plans. And then um, it got warm there for three, four days, south winds, uh, east winds. So I out and obviously the deer cast forecast. I saw the writing was on the wall that it was just going to be a matter of time with the cool weather, mm. the high pressure deer cast says good checking the wind check. Everything's perfect, man. All my winds blowing out to the residential area. Um, 35 yard walk in my stand. That's nice and quiet. I cut some paths going into the Novix. Uh, I mean, the stage was set. It was just, I knew it was just going to be a matter of time that he, he was going to slip. Um, and October 7th, he did, um, just perfect West winds the whole time. Um, I got in without bumping anything, uh, had deer funneling in and out constantly, uh, had a old doe come in. She kind of ran off another doe and her fawn. So I kind of figured she was like the matriarch of the woods. And if I could fool her, then I felt like I could, you know, I could potentially kill Clyde if he shows up mm-hmm. and she was kind of off feeding and all of a sudden I look up and here comes Clyde coming in. Uh, sorry. Coming in from the West winds blowing in my face. Everything's perfect. He gives me plenty of time to reach around, turn my GoPro on, get my camera running. Uh, everything's just going as smooth as possible. And all of a sudden the wind just absolutely switches <sighs> out of nowhere and blows straight East just for a, few seconds and um but before that Clyde comes in and works that vine scrape um he doesn't get aggressive with it by any means but he comes in checks the licking branch pees a little bit and he's coming in I'm thinking I'm gonna have a 25 yard chip shot Mm. um he hangs up at 35 this doe's kind of got him spooked out the wind switches so I dial the HHA to 35 and I'm like, man, as soon as that doe turns her head, cause she's looking straight at me uh-huh. and she actually ends up running off a little bit. And so as soon as she turns and runs, I draw back Clyde's looking West and I just let it fly. Shot was a little back. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was originally. I thought it was just atrocious. I mean, it wasn't the best shot, but, um, actually I got single long and it came out guts and the mega meat just ripped him up but i stayed out for the night obviously monitoring deer cast track and seeing what mark had to say and terry and bobby and tracker john and that is just such a tremendous tool um man i highly recommend it and it's just you know if you think he's gonna die he'll be he'll be dead tomorrow i mean that's the the common saying right yeah it's it's a when the weather's right, you have a little more luxury when it's early season, it's tough. That's a tough call, obviously, but that cold front that came through the lows were low enough. They were kind of teetering where it's like, okay, okay, I think we can leave them go overnight and still be okay. You know, that's the, the argument that you hear from people. It's like, well, what about the meat? And it's like, yes, that's true. We, that's, that is the key factor here. But if you push them that night, you probably still don't get the meat, <laughs> you know, sometimes you gotta, you know, back that, out and wait. That's what I've told people. Sometimes they don't understand that. It's like, look, it's a, it's a, it's a very tough decision because if you bump him, he runs off, he's completely wasted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So. Yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of sweating bullets too, like in an urban setting. Sure. Obviously if I bump that deer, man, he can go on anybody's property and yeah. they can tell me nothing. I can't get my deer. So yeah. It was a sleepless night for sure. And I just felt like it kind of took away a little bit, like any excitement that I had. It was obviously like I'm anxiety ridden anyway. <laughs> it was straight to. Like, I know those homeless people are eating my deer. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. West side Joe hoping, over there going to town on your deer. I was hoping I wasn't going to show up and them like, you know. Like, like a pack of wolves. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Like, like the walking dead and they're eating your deer. <laughs> well, man, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's pretty commendable to be able to on. And Tim could probably speak much more to it than I could. Those conditions and the size of properties that you're talking about. I mean, that is not easy. And it's a deer that no, size. No, it's not like everybody thinks urban deer are really easy. And I'm not saying that they're like, 
it's not maybe a different deer to kill, but like what Dylan deals with, I could not deal with. I do not want to deal with that at my age. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. the way I like to hunt, I do not want to deal with those kinds of things. So I commend him on the fact that he's willing to put up with that, but he's figured out, okay, this is, you know, what I can hunt. I I can't afford to lease a ton of stuff. I can't buy farms yet. I'm only 28 years old. So he's ground out and figured out where he can find deer to kill that are good size. Yeah, that's, that's that's how you do it. That's pretty awesome, Dylan. And and you learn to yeah, hunt like, around people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a completely different game. It's it, it's a fun game to a sense, but it's also extremely stressful. Yeah, um, and low percentage. I mean, low yeah, odds. I mean, I've, you uh, feel like head against the wall most of the time, but um, just the story that it's able to bring with an urban with an urban hunt is just it's so unique. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's why Lee Ellis from Seek One has had such oh, success. I, for the sure. stories are so unique. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And urban, rural, I don't care. I'm just going to go where the bigger deer is. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Well, it's just like where Ranger lived, you know, Matt, like it's the same thing. Everybody thinks just because we're hunting rural deer or we're on a farm that maybe somebody own, we own or it's private that you have no there's dude there's people hunt every piece in this country anymore yeah there's hardly no farm that does not get hunted yeah you know and like where ranger lived he could literally go 60 50 60 yards out of that one bed and he's on a neighbor's property that they hunt yeah he could go 250 yards the other direction he's off the property again yeah like it's not that's easy to do like for the deer yeah that's nothing nothing yeah i mean within seconds they're in front of another camera that you got 300 yards away Pretty you know, much so figure like, if you're getting them this time of year, once the rut hits and then gun season, your neighbor's going to kill your buck. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. not your buck. That's not the way mm-hmm. to put it. Sure, but sure. yeah, that's but what I you mean, feel like. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you just have to watch if you're on a deer like that and you have these kind of weather patterns. And again, that is why deer cast is very important. You know, some people say, well, it's really stupid to rely on an app to go. Well, it's not like that's how we just live by it, but it gives you good intel to yeah. see those barometer changes and mm-hmm. you know i can tell you the days that it are that deer cast says it's poor it's gonna suck yeah because yep. it mostly does <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know we had a guy asking us in the we have a private facebook group called the rack pack it's just like people that listen to the show and kind of the uh, inner circle followers and uh a guy just a couple days ago asked hey how do you guys use meaning the community a couple thousand people in there how do you guys use DeerCast to tell you when to go and you know would you go on an okay or you know and of course you get mixed a mixed bag a guy says well i shot a deer on a poor my shooter on a pour if that tells you anything and another guy says well if you use an app to tell you when to hunt you shouldn't be hunting and and it's like all right everybody calm down calm down so i jumped in there and said look it it's more when you see a great like you know it's a pretty good chance that conditions are great It, it doesn't mean if it's okay or good that it's not great to go out too. it's one of those things where you then dive into the graph i'd say exactly what you just said i look at the the pressure. I look at the cloud cover. I look at the moon phase. I look at all these things. And then the camera Intel that I have out there and say, should I go or shouldn't I go? What yeah, are, what are still, my odds? You still have to make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a guide. It's, yeah. It's just giving you pointers. And that's what, cause we had the same comments, probably the same exact guy. Cause he said, well, if you have to use a deer app or an app to know when to go hunting, like you shouldn't be hunting. Well, it's the same thing though. It's like, it's just a guide. It's a tool to kind of like Give yourself some information or a little extra confidence. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know where this deer is. And we all know that it's proven fact that deer move better when that barometer gets above 30. Yeah. It's just a proven fact. Yep. I mean, and it's just like not every cold front is the best cold front. Like, yeah, I truly believe that in late season, I would much rather hunt a high pressure after the storm, sit out the storm, stay at home, oh, yeah. go in the next day when that sun pops out, buddy, they, they are all going move. to move. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you guys taking the time to jump in the, the podcast collab. 
We should do it more often. Yeah. You guys keep killing. We'll just set up the podcast. <laughs> now you guys will you'll get on them. You're hit shaking bacon. I helped. Man, I've had several opportunities so far this year. It just hadn't worked out yet. <laughs> so we aren't going to talk about the past. <laughs> <laughs> Time to move on. <laughs> well, congratulations again, guys. Thanks for sharing uh, yeah. all your insights and everything. And it's still early in the season. So it is. Uh, there's going to be a lot more action, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We got a full moon coming the 28th of October. If we get any kind of good weather, that hunter's moon, it's it should be lights out the end of October. Yeah, yep. I uh, I agree. And I, you know, hey, we just want to say thanks to guys. We appreciate the support from DeerCast and Drury's. And, you know, it's uh, to us, it means a lot because, you know, we feel that Drury Outdoors is the best, you know, outdoor company. And we to have you guys support our show means a whole lot to us. It's a privilege. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you guys. It's a no brainer. You guys, uh, you, you know, you're out there boots on the ground, putting these strategies to work and killing big deer consistently. Those are the kind of guys that we like to team up with. Obviously Ben, we've had a long-term relationship with the jury family and, uh, don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. Heck yeah. All right. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you. Have a great day. Yep. You too. All right. Until next time. See ya. Peace out. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind check out to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast.